What we have been looking at together, and um, I have to tell you, I said to, to my wife the other night, um, in a long time, this has one of been the most exciting studies I've done in a while. I've really enjoyed studying it on my own and then bring it here. And reading the book that I told you I pray you'll get um, and, and have a part of your library is the book Good Faith, uh, written by, um, by two men, Gabe Lyons and David Kinnerman. Uh, David Kinnerman and uh, Gabe have been friends for years and they've written several books uh, together. Uh, but uh, this book, um, if you believe what I believe that is happening in our world today and in the church today, then you will want to have this book in your library. That's just a, a part of it. Uh, I had it given to me by a pastor friend, uh, and um, uh, it, it really spoke to my heart. I, I started reading. Now, like any book, except for this book, like any book, there's some things I'm not fully in agreement with, and you can piece that out. I, mean, I don't think there's any book that you read that you go, oh, yeah, I agree 100% with this. But the overall concept of what he shared, what they share is fantastic. And so I just wanted to uh, relate that again to you. How many of you have heard of Jonathan Kahn? Harbinger? Yeah. Okay. If you never got online and heard his message in the rotunda of the Capitol in the United States, you need to get on and look at it. It is one powerful uh, statement. But he made this quote, and I, I quote it to you. Quote, ancient Israel, of course, is a nation that knew God. Turned away from God, turned to Baal, turned to other gods, and started living, driving out God in the public square. They started calling good Evil good and good evil. We are reliving that. End of quote. And I got to tell you right now, we're seeing in America a nation that was once founded on the precepts of God's word. And now we're seeing it departing from that very thing. The church today, and that's including all of us, the church is not this building. The church is us. The church today has become past tense. Professing Christians are such only in name, not in practice. You wonder why the generation that is coming after us, uh, the millennials particularly, why that group of people is the, I gave you last time, 36% are now going to church of that group. Why is that the case? Because we, who have been the church, have lost sight of what it's all about. We're not doing what we should be doing. So that's causing the problem. And so if we're ever to see, and I want to see this, I'm praying, I pray for this each day in my quiet time. For a spiritual awakening for America. I'm praying for that every day. But if we're going to see a spiritual awakening in our, church, in our, our country if we're ever going to experience revival again. Now, here's something, too, that um, Southern Baptists, uh, we, we believe in having revival meetings. That was a past thing, revival meetings. I believe it or not, Methodists actually did that at one time. But uh, revival meetings, really, revival is not to win the lost. Revival is to revive something that's already been there. So I say what you have to have is a revival evangelistic meeting yeah. to revive the Christians, get them challenged, get them motivated, get them living out the life, and then have evangelistic meetings. <laughs> Where what? That's what the Church of God does. Yeah. And a lot, of, a lot of churches, that's what we need to do. But what we have to see is the body of Christ becoming more relevant. That's the word I'm using, and I'm all going to use it over and over because I want it to burn in your brain. Okay. And the only way it's going to become relevant is when you and I truly, every single day, are living out our faith. Living out our faith. The last two sessions that we are going to have together, we're going to zero in on what I call the solution to being relevant. The solution. And uh, we're going to look at what it needs to be uh, as far as incorporating into our life 
And I want you to come to the passage I'm going to use tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want you to come with me to it. Chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. It's just after chapter 8. Okay? And it's before 10, yes. And it's on page 15, 16 in my if you have the sanctified version, if you have the sanctified version, it's on page 1522. Uh, but... Listen to these words. Although I am free from all, and I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave or servant to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law, to those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that I may by every possible means save some. I love that passage of script. The Holman Christian Standard. <clears throat> now, I believe what it lies in here is some of the solution that we need to come to. And, and Paul laid it out here to the Church of Corinth. Remember now, the Church of Corinth was, was a, a unique church. Uh, it had a lot of giftings. And uh, yet, what they had was also a lot of pride. And they had a lot of problems. But he says, here's what you need to be doing. Here's what needs to happen. In uh, their, their book, Good Faith, this was one chapter that I just totally was brought back on my heels on and said, wow, that is one beautiful thing. So I am putting it in, in this tonight, because, and I'm, I'm even using the very words uh, that uh, they use. But I'm going to ask you a question first. From the verses that I just read to you, Give me some of the things that stand out there in that passage of Scripture. What things stand out to you? What immediately jumps out off the page? What, what is there as far as seeing some kind of a solution? What, what do you see there? Now, I'm going to give you what I see here, things, but what do you see here tonight? Just speak the Word. All right, speaking the Word. All right, any others? I like that, too. Meet people where they are. Servant. Mm -hmm. Servant, too. Very good. Servant. Anything else? Anything else you see? You're welcome. Huh? Can't win, but seeking to win those he can win. Yeah, that's refreshing. It is, we're not obligated to save everybody because we're not. That's, no, that's God's business. If you and I, well, see, I, I believe two principles. I believe two principles. God's in the business of saving, and I'm in the business of sharing. I have no idea. That's God's business. Who he's going to save? That's his business. But what I have to do is to share. But I cannot, Tammy, I cannot win everybody. If we think we're going to win everybody, we're, we're, we're illusional. We're just not going to. Yeah. All right. Anything else you see there? I would say uh, uh, bring in the re uh, reviving back wayward Christians. Bring him back to the fold. Okay. Revive the, way, the wayward. Revive wayward Christians. Wayward Christians, okay. Yeah, he's trying to do that. Huh? Freedom in Christ. I still don't hear you. Freedom in Christ. Okay, freedom in Christ. Mm-hmm. Freedom. But you know, the Bible talks about if one goes astray, uh, that we, it's our responsibility to go to them to bring them back. Hmm? Yeah. Book of Ephesians talks about that. Yeah. 
So important. Well, very good. You, you got a lot of the ones that uh, I'm going to probably draw out to you, but we're going to hit some things here tonight. As I said in that, the book uh, that you and I are going to have in our libraries, right? Um, this was something that was hit that I loved. Here it was. The first principle in bringing a solution to the church being more relevant is we have to be accommodating a society in which we live rather than assimilating Christianity into society. Man, that that just blew my mind. You, You see what it's saying there? Accommodate society, but don't assimilate society. Our society, in order to make Christianity more taste-worthy to them, means you assimilate into what we think, right? Is that not what our society is telling us to do? And that's what's happened down through the church. We've watched that happen. And these men have said, no, that's not what good faith is all about. That's not what relevant Christianity is about. What we need to do is we need to come to a place where we accommodate society, but we don't assimilate ourselves into society. Every day, you and I hear of cases of individuals being criticized for sharing their convictions. Don't we? For sharing their ethical standards. For relating their opinions for vocalizing their spiritual values. And what we have done in doing that, if we're, if we're truly trying to be relevant, and we do all those things, we're making people uncomfortable. And in the process, we're not being politically correct. Our Vice President, and I might touch on this again a little bit next week in our, our session together, but how many of you watched The View long enough to shut it off? I cannot stand, I cannot stand those liberal ladies on there that think they know everything about everything. Joy said this, and I hope it comes back to bite her. She said the other day, and I I just merely got it on the only place to get news, Fox News. Um, I saw it on Fox News, and I saw her say it. So it wasn't just, you know, hearsay. She said concerning... Vice President Pence, who I believe Mike Pence is a true born-again believer, he has said that he is that, and so I believe him and what I see and what I hear. And he has some good principles. In fact, he has one of them where he will not get on an elevator like Billy Graham, would not get on an elevator with uh, someone of the opposite sex. Uh, He won't go into a restaurant and sit down with a woman other than his wife or his wife has to be with him. And, And, of course, they've mocked him concerning that, but that's his spiritual values. And, uh, and she said this, Joy said, Mike Pence has said that Jesus speaks to him and he gets guidance as to what he's to do. And she said, it's one thing, it's one thing to talk to Jesus. It's another thing to say he talks to you. That's an emotional or a mental problem, a mental problem. According to John 10, it says, my people know my voice. My sheep know my voice. (laughs) Uh, So, Joy, you probably don't know him. Can I come to that conclusion? Because he speaks to me. Does he speak to you? Yeah. Yeah. But you see how unpopular that is, and that's what's happening. We're seeing that kind of thing created more and more. And what do they want us to do? They want us to assimilate into society's views and in the process water down the truth of God's Word. Somebody you said about freedom in Christ, I think it was you, Patrick. Did you not say that? Okay. Paul states this. For though I am free from all men. Essentially, we're, we're not restricted by the culture then, are we? I'm not restricted. Stand fast. Galatians tells us, stand fast in the liberty which we have in Christ Jesus. And be not in, what, in bondage again. So we're not restricted by the culture. But how has the church allowed that to happen to them? What have we done? 
What have we done? Somebody share with me. What have we done to show that we're, we're not free? We're enslaved to our culture. How have we done it? We do not want to offend anybody, Debbie. That's right. We, we don't want to offend. Oh, please. I won't say that because oh, that will offend you. What else? Compromise. compromise. We, we, we compromise. And there's a problem with that. I believe there's a place where we have to find a balance in, in marriage. How many of you, you, you've been married a long time. You've been married fairly long too, right? No. no? Okay, well, Faith and I are coming up in 45. We're coming up in 45 years. How many do you have? Well, you're only 10. You're close, yeah. Okay. And you, you have 40. Okay. But see, here's the thing. You have to learn in marriage two things. Men have to learn one phrase that they have to learn and never forget it. Patrick, never forget this. Yes, ma'am. Right, Bobby? Amen. Uh, see, I knew, I knew you understood it. Yes, ma'am. But you do make concessions with each other, don't you? You have to to make it work. I understand that. But what Patrick's talking about here and what we're talking about is happening in the church is not the same. Compromise. Because compromise leads to what? Watering it down. It really does. What's another one? What else? How have you and I showed that we're, we're still confined? We're not free. What, what is it that shows that? Okay, say what's not popular. Amen. Do you remember when I was serving as an elder, we brought up about how many people rush out of the church during the invitation. And I don't know about you, that ticks me off. It does. It spiritually ticks me off. And when we were talking about it, of course, my warped mind, I said, well, there's a way to stop it. Lock the doors. Lock the doors. Because really... That is one of the most holy moments of a church service, the invitation. Then they bring a lawsuit on you. Well, yeah, because the society, society would dictate to us, wouldn't it? That's exactly right. Yeah, very good. No, you're popular with me. I agree. All right, so we are not to be confined by our community for what we believe. And yet, we are. But we don't read scripture and don't study it. John Chrysostom said that we should, uh, you know, you should gather up all the materials of the New Testament you can find and read them. And he said the, the reason we have evil is because people don't know the scriptures. Amen. One of the, one of the things that um, I have been able to do, I teach a class, I've taught it for 16 years at uh, Valley Rescue uh, Rehab up in in, in uh, Hamilton. My class is called A Journey Through the Bible. Now, they have a nine-month cycle that they have. So I have them for nine months. There's no way I can get through the whole Bible in nine months because I only meet once a week. But what I do is I get through at least one book maybe or a half a book with them as they're there. And we just finish up the book of Exodus uh, with them. But... I'm going through the whole Bible, so after 16 years, I've gone through it several times. And you know what? You start to go, oh yeah, that's in such and such a passage, you know? And we do, Bobby, that's what we, we've lacked in the church. See, people have got this, this concept, I pray to God. And what does he say to you? Well, I pray to God. I didn't ask you about your prayer life. If I had to, in a quiet time with the Lord in the morning, sacrifice one thing of either Bible time or prayer, which should I do? Sacrifice prayer. Sacrifice prayer. It isn't so much what I say to God. It's what He says to me. Right? That doesn't mean we sacrifice either one, but I'm saying if we had to, what do you do? We need to also consider that, sort of like in the case of Lot, you know, that him and his family, they lived in a very roused and community, let's say. Oh, yeah. And uh, there was no holiness there, but probably no scripture. No. But they lived off of faith. Well, but, but Lot, yeah. Lot knew from his uncle yeah. Abraham, he knew the truth. 
And what he happened, what, he came down with his tent and lived outside the city. And then he was on the city council. And he was so warped in his concepts of, of what he knew that when some gays, <clears throat> homosexuals, excuse me, homosexuals came and wanted to know the men that had come in to visit with him, he said, I have two virgin daughters, I'll send them out to you, and you do to them what you see fit. And they were betrothed, right? Yeah, I'm going, what, what a warped mind. Do you see what happens? You think that's not happening today? Christians are being warped in the churches, how, how we view things. I still believe that sex before marriage is classified, I believe, as fornication. And I still believe adultery is wrong. I mean, I had someone one time say, I know, and believe it or not, this is from a preacher. I know that this individual should not have committed adultery. But he just needs to be happy. I am against homosexuality, but you don't say that very loud because you may land up in jail. Oh, yeah, you could. Yeah. So what are we to do? I believe you and I need to aid people. We need to provide answers. See, there's a lot of questions out there, but unless you and I can come up with answers, and we also have to be a voice of distinction, we need to... Can I put it even stronger? We need to infiltrate the philosophy of the world. <laughs> we need to infiltrate the philosophy of our world. Paul did that in Acts 17, did he not? When he debated the philosophers of his day. And we have to bring answers, this voice, this infiltration, by a reliable option, Jesus Christ. <laughs> right? How many of you believe tonight that Jesus Christ is the viable answer to all of society? Amen. Well, if we believe that, we need to live that and speak that. We cannot afford then to roll over and play dead. Cockroaches do that. You know that, don't you? If you walk into a room and there's a cockroach laying out there, and he sees you walk in the room, you're going to flip over and act like he's dead. Isn't he? He's going to roll over and act like he's dead. That's where we come up with in recruiting, uh, teaching young recruits, dying cockroach position. That's where it come up. Yeah, that's, well, there, that fits. That's how we come up with that position. Exactly, yeah. But we can't afford to play dead. We have done that. And we can't afford to abandon what we know to be truth. Do you and I really, really believe this is truth? Do we? Absolutely. Yes. Every dot, point, everything. everything is the truth. So we have to believe that. And we cannot afford conformity. And that's what our society wants us to do, conform to their views. You hear it all the time in Congress, don't you? Somebody like uh, Nancy Pelosi and, you know, all these kind of people. They, they want us to what? Conform. You know, it's one thing you don't hear. Yeah. You know, there's a, the prayer during the Congress, you know, when they uh, showed on TV the, the prayer. You never hear anything in the name of Jesus. Well, that's, a, comp that's a compromise. But, you know, that's a compromise. But, but, you know, and, and, and it's all red. It's, it's, it's cold and it's just simply red. Well, I won't go there, but I agree with you. All right. The authors of Good Faith also points out, and I'm going to make a quote here for you again. Quote, protecting people from ideas they'd rather not hear is not only laughable, but also ultimately harmful to society. Let me say that again. Protecting people from ideas they'd rather not hear is not only laughable, but also ultimately harmful to society. When my two children were growing up in our home, Faith and I taught our children, yes sir, no sir, 
Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. We taught him that. My dad was one time visiting with us. And he heard me say that, and, and they didn't respond. And I said, and you say what? Yes, sir. My dad said, are you uh, going to soon teach him to salute? I said, I'm working on it. <laughs> what? If you don't teach your children to listen to your voice and to obey your voice, will they ever understand what it is to obey His voice? They will not. They will not. They have to learn that. And we're, we're seeing a society today that's caved in on that. My sister and I were talking the other day. She said there was a little child in the Walmart that was acting up and her mom wasn't doing anything. I said, what would you have done? I said, well, all I usually had to do was grab my belt like this in public. And as soon as I did that, the kids stopped. Do you know why? They knew what that meant. And it wasn't just a formal thing. It was the real thing. It was reality. You don't straighten your act up. I'm going to get it. Isn't the truth here? Spare the rod and spoil the child. That's scriptural. But they don't want to take that anymore. Okay. So it's almost laughable, but most of all, it's, it's harmful. I want you to advance to another ideal. Not only are we to accommodate society with Jesus Christ rather than assimilate, but we need to be more serviceable. More serviceable. Catch the statement. I have made everybody else a servant to all. I've made the government a service to all. Is that what it's saying? No, it says, I have made myself a servant to all. Wow. Who's saying that? Paul. Paul said he wants us to render service to other people. That means something, Christian. It means we have to give of ourselves for the well-being of others. What does it say in Philippians chapter 2? Come with me. Philippians chapter 2. Those four books, if you want to remember them, Grace Eats Popcorn. Right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's from Bible college. Did you, re did you remember that kind of thing? That's right? Oh, that's not what you used, but... <laughs> that's good. Catch this in verse 5. Chapter 2. Verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. What was his attitude? He was God, but then it says what? He assumed the form of a servant, a bond slave. So if it's good enough for Jesus, it ought to be good enough for us. I ought to be giving up of myself. Giving up of who I am, and that's, that's beyond me. I, I can't do that. That's below me. I can't do that. Why not? When was the last time you were in a McDonald's and, uh, or a Burger King, and the person behind you came up, and you knew they were going to get something, so you just said to the person that you're taking your money, Put those three dollars to their account. Is that the big deal? Three dollars? No. But are you serving those people? Are you getting their attention? I mean, even though it's three dollars, that means something. Now, I'm not saying you can't give more than that, but I'm saying if you just even did that. Or here's for their coffee. Here's for, do you see what you're doing? You're giving up of yourself for the well-being of other people. And we can come up with a variety of things to do, can't we? Paul is advocating, I believe here, a spirit of sincere usefulness. To be useful. How many of you men run the sweeper in the house? The vacuum cleaner. The vacuum cleaner. Good. Not allowed. Not allowed? Okay. <laughs> How many of you men cook? Not allowed. 
That would be a disaster. Well, those of you who are on cooking, I will actually teach you a class on it. Because I remember one time we were doing a study, Faith and I were doing a study on uh, role playing as husband and wife and, you know, teaching that. And, and I said, men, is it, is it below you or beyond you to um, cook a meal for your wife? Is it beyond you to clean for your, your spouse? No. Would Jesus do that? Yes. Sure he would. He made a meal for 5,000 people, <laughs> didn't he? He gave of himself, he called out to his father. He's in my Bible study on Tuesday night, and he always debates me when I say something like that. See, yeah, yeah. We have access to that. That's right. There you go. I have been given the divine nature of 1 Peter 2. <laughs> yeah, all right. But thank you. I, kn I knew you would agree with me there. But usefulness, and, and we need to what? Be demonstrating the character of Christ. That's what it says there in Philippians 2. Adopt this attitude. Secondly, it also necessitates getting out of our comfort zones. If I'm going to be a servant, if I'm going to be serviceable to people as a Christian, in order to what? Why do I want to be serviceable to people? Tell me why. So they're receptive to what we want to say, so we can win them, hopefully, not everyone, but win some to what? Christ. That's why we're serviceable. And so if we're going to do that, we need to come to the place where we get out of our comfort zones. And we have our own comfort zones, let's be honest. And Brother Andy teased this morning, I heard about my singing. You had to find out which was better. I am more comfortable up here doing this tonight than I was this morning. I am very, 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 very nervous doing that. Faith, that's her comfort zone. Her family was singing. You know, they, they love to sing in four-part harmony. They're, they're good. That is not my comfort zone. I mean, Faith and I went over that song probably 872 times before we came here to church. Not that many. I was exaggerating. But, but that is not my comfort zone. And, and all of us, that's not necessarily our comfort zone. But if God can use us to service people from that, then what do we do? Give it up. Give up that comfort zone. And doing that, we're becoming the church again, aren't we? We're becoming the church. When we start meeting needs, meeting needs, how can I meet needs of people? I'm giving a plug for a ministry we've started here together. It's called Love a Mission. It's not ministry, it's a mission. Love Indeed 365. And it's going to necessitate this, that everybody at Edgewood Baptist Church sees the value of Love Indeed 365. And they start being creative. We've, there's a whole list of things that you can do. See that for the classes? But we're just willing to say, if you can come up with something even better, do it. Do it. How many of you have neighbors? Do you all you know their names? Your neighbors? You know them by name? Good. Do you talk to them when you get a chance? You need to. I even tell them occasionally I love them. That, good. When was the last time uh, you invited them over to your house for a meal? We go, we go feed them. Yeah, but see here, I, I love this. When you invite somebody into your home, they're on your turf. <laughs> you see, if you're on their turf, it's one thing. But if they're on your turf, that's a whole different thing. Faith and I have been burdened about reaching our neighbors. We've already started inviting a few of them in our house. And we're going to continue to invite ones for a meal. And after the meal's over, I get on the Internet and I play a letter from God. It's all scriptural. It's powerful. You get on there, you go, you'll be in tears as you're watching it. It's, it's really neat. And so after it's done, you go like this. What, what do you think of that? Mm. What do you think of that? 
And they can what? Respond. You see some of the creativity that we can have in what? Doing what Paul says here. Being serviceable to people. Finding ways to be caregivers to our people. My one neighbor, who I'm praying for his salvation, every Tuesday is garbage day for us. I push my garbage can out to the, to the road, but when I come back at the end of the day, my neighbor has pushed my garbage can up to the side of the house. Boy, he's showing something that every Christian ought to be doing. You know? Just being those kind of caregivers about people. One neighbor across the street had either experienced when I fell the other week, passed out. He came over into my yard and he said, Mr. Grubb, are you okay? Are you okay? Uh, yes, I'm getting better. Good. Because you're a great neighbor. I enjoy it. I said, well, you are too. You see what? We're developing a community. And the church ought to be developing a community. And so it means we have to be servicing people. Those who are hurting, we need to service them. There's a third thing. We need to look at uh, David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons expressed this, quote, We must be the people of God who rather than being defined only by what we are against, are also defined by what we are for. <laughs> you need that again so you can write it down? We must be the people of God who rather than being defined only by what we are against, are also defined by what we are for. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. The Lord is a high tower. Those are the kind of things we're for, aren't we? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. That's it, isn't it? That's in a nutshell. That's where we ought to be. What are we being defined for? <laughs> what are you defined for? Hmm? You know, you've heard of the, you've heard of the guy that uh, he always was telling his friends and everybody he was sick. And everybody just passed it off because he'd always said it so many times. Finally, when he died, guess what he had on his tombstone? I told you I was sick. I don't want my life to be defined by what's etched on a tombstone. I want it to be defined by what is etched in the lives and hearts of those I've touched. Isn't that where you're at? Well, it should be. That brings me to a third thing, and we'll stop with this tonight, but there's still extra points under it. But this is the last area that I took from the passage that we looked at. So we've looked at what so far? I am to be serviceable. I am to accommodate but not assimilate. And here's the third factor that he talks about. I need to have identification. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. To those under the law, as under the law. To those are without the law, as without law, but not being without law towards God. In other words, my standard is always going to be what? Truth. If I know to be truth, I cannot disobey that. But what he's advocating here is identification. Identification. How do we identify? Do we compromise? Is that what, is that what Paul's talking about here? I became a Jew. I became this. I became that. Is that what it was? He, he compromised? No, I don't think it has anything to do with compromise. It means he comes to the place where he's understanding of where they're coming from. We need to understand where they're coming from. You're talking to an adulterer. You don't condemn the adulterer. You promote to them an option that they don't have to do that. 
a young lady by the name of Shannon White. She's been here to church. She used to be with, um, uh, what's the organization? Uh, started up in New York. Um, he wrote a book, Crossing a Switchblade. Um, David Wilkerson, yeah. Shannon White has gone over to India and is working in the streets to pull women out of what? The white slavery. I pray for that lady. She's a young girl. I pray for her. Because why? That's not, that's not a, and what's she trying to do? She can't totally just rip them. She has to go there with them. She's not going to become one, but she's going to go and say, I understand where you're at. <laughs> People just need to see Christians being willing to do some things where they get their hands a little dirty. Right? Yeah. Corey Tin Boone was in a concentration camp because she stood for the, the Jews during the Nazis' rule. And there was lice going throughout all of the barracks where she was living with her sister and others. And she's going, how in the world can we live in this deplorable environment? But the guards who were coming in and raping many of the women would not come in because of what was happening in the barracks. <laughs> and so Corey and her sister were able to what? Talk to them about Jesus. Isn't that neat? Might not be the best thing, but guess what? It works. We have to come and be understanding of where they're coming from. Not condoning it. We're not talking about condoning that. We're talking about understanding. Too often... We want people to be where we want them to be, rather than where they are. Isn't that right? Here's where, here's where I feel comfortable talking to somebody about Jesus. When they wear a three-piece suit, and, and their hair's combed nice, their teeth are brushed, and they smell good. I'll witness to them. How about that person have you ever found that person that was homeless, stank to high heaven, and all they wanted was a hug? And you're going, <clears throat> put your arm around them because you're coming to where they are, not where you want them to be. <clears throat> did Jesus do that? Answer me, did Jesus do that? Then if Jesus did that, he went into sinners' homes, didn't he? Yes. Ate with them. To say, I'm not condoning your behavior, but I'm meeting you where you are. Meeting you where you are. Billy Sunday used to roll up his sleeves. I mean, this guy was a sportsman, a baseball player. He'd go into bars, jump up on the bar, roll up his sleeves, and make it a church. <laughs> he would preach to them in the bar, and he was actually thrown out of bars because what? People were getting converted and weren't coming back to buy any alcohol. Because <laughs> Billy Sonny was winning the Jesus. He came to where they are. If you and I think we're going to win people by having them come to church, please forgive me, but that's not always going to happen. We've got to meet them where they are. Love indeed, 365, going out and meeting. Do you know in nursing homes, nursing homes, Robbie Kramer, one of our missionaries with BCM that I oversee, goes to 24 different nursing homes every month and holds services there. And I've been with him as a supervisor and watched him in action. And he goes up and loves on those older people. And he has led many of them to Jesus Christ in the nursing home at the end of their life. No one loved them. They don't have, some of them don't have any family or friends, and they're just there. Man, do you see where we have opportunities to meet them where they are? Not where we want them to be. 
It'd be easier if they were in church to let Andy sick them. Say, Andy, sick them. It's time that we, the church, sick them. That's what he's saying here, isn't it? That's what Paul's saying. Now, we cannot be individuals then, if we're understanding what Paul's saying here, we can't be individuals who jump to conclusions. And we do that a lot, don't we? We jump to conclusions about... How many of you have done this before? I remember when I, we were kids, we used to, for fun, on Sunday nights after church, we'd go into Penn Street in Reading, Pennsylvania, and stand there and watch the people walk up and down the streets, and many of them were... And we could draw conclusions about them, couldn't we? But... Sometimes those conclusions are wrong conclusions, aren't they? The biggest conclusion is this, they're without Christ. Don't you think? They're empty. There's something not there for them. We need to meet them in their situation. (laughs) Jesus had an adulterous woman brought before him and... (laughs) Everybody was ready to condemn her, stone her. Of course, they didn't bring the man there. I don't know where he was. But they brought, she was caught in the act. Well, where was he? Where was the, I mean, it took two, didn't it? He was in the group. Yeah, he was in the group. That's why I like, and this, you don't have to agree with me on this. I believe Jesus, when he got down on the ground, he was purposely writing, he was writing their names down. He was saying, I, I know your situation. And as soon as they looked down, what did they say? They dropped the rocks. <laughs> and they walked away. And then Jesus did something to that lady. Where's your accusers? She said they've all left. Now the next thing out of his mouth was the most powerful statement ever. Because he's God, isn't he? And he said, neither will I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He wasn't condoning her behavior. He was giving her another option and saying, listen, you don't have to do this anymore. Woo! Meet him and their situation. Go through the experiences of life with him. And yet filter it with divine truth. Filter it with divine truth. Wow. I am... Faith and I are getting up close to 44 years in full-time ministry this July. And I am thankful. Don't take this wrong. I enjoyed pastoring. I was pastor for 33 years of those 44. Ray, I know you want another church. Bless your heart. Um, But in the latter part of my ministry, because I know I'm I'm living, well, all of us live on bar time, but I'm living on bar time. Okay, I'm in the latter part of my ministry. I am so excited the fact that God's given me greater liberty than I've ever had because I don't have to be at a congregation. I don't have to please a congregation anymore. <laughs> you know, and you can go and tell Andy, don't have him back to teach anymore. And you can do that. That's fine. If that's what God wants, that's fine. But I'm still able to be a voice and will be because I want to Filter in what? Truth. I hope tonight you've seen, I have not taken anything outside of the Word of God. Because I believe that's where it's at. Let's say as believers, it's time that we get off our spiritual high horses. It's time that we get off our soapboxes. I heard a preacher recently say this. Concerning drinking. And I'm not condoning drinking. That's not what I'm saying. If I know, you know. But this is what he said. Preachers who permit people to have a choice about what? Things are dumb preachers. He made that say, I heard it with my own ears. They're dumb preachers. So I'm a dumb preacher. Because, do you know what? I just have the, I just have the firm belief that if a person is a Christian... The Holy Spirit will convict them as to what they need to be convicted about. How many of you believe that? That's truth, isn't it? The Spirit of God, it says in, in John 16, the Spirit of God will guide you into all truth. <laughs> and so if, if I believe that, if I truly believe that, then I'm going to let it up to the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I'm going to speak what I believe is true, but I'm not going to what? Get on a soapbox. That's what, that's what preachers like to do sometimes. That's what we as Christians like to do. We like to get on those soapboxes. Instead, what we need to do is relate to people. We need to accept them for who they are. How many of you have relatives? How many of those relatives do you love? Or how many of them do you loathe? I mean... <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean... Yeah, but think about it. Think about it. We have those people that come into our life, and I have brother-in-laws, particularly one brother-in-law, that I accept him for who he is. And Faith and I both aren't thrilled to be around him. But we love him. Called him for his birthday the other day. Sang to him. Talked to him on the phone. Why? Because that's what I ought to do. He's a child of God. He's a Christian. He's a believer. And, and what? I might not like his personality. I might not like everything about him. But I need to accept him. Most times what we do as Christians, and here's what's been a mistake, because I can't accept who they are, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. That's them. I'm going to stay away from them. Is that godly? No. We have to come to the place where we envision you and I wonderfully teaching people how they can become Christ-like. Right? How they can truly become what God's intended them to be. Our next lesson will be next week and we'll finish up. I have three more principles that I'm going to give you next week that I believe are important from this text that we're looking at. But you can see we got it right down to why? Any comments or questions what I share tonight? Anything that bugged the daylights out of you tonight? <laughs>